Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome here. If you're hanging out in the lobby, I'm going to invite you in. We're going to get the service started here. My name is Grant. And my name's Gail. And we are here to get the service. Uh, welcome you to it. Get it going. I already said inter started, introduced, so I'll just repeat myself a lot and ramble. You take it away. That's okay. If you are new here, if you're, this is your first time watching online or in person, a special welcome to you. It's really good to see new faces and to know that there are others out there that are just checking us out. And uh, we want you to know that uh, we would love to get to know you. And there is a way, um, you may go on to hello at cedarvalley.ca just to check out what we have available there. Yeah, we just want to get connected, right? And sometimes we always see new faces, and especially online, it's hard to know who is kind of new here joining. Mm -hmm. Actually, a fun story I had was uh, somebody had came come to our on-campus service recently and uh, said, hey, like, how'd you hear this? Oh, I've been joining online for, you know, months. Like, oh, I had no idea. Okay, so sweet. Like, let us know that you're joining us online. Uh, also online, though, make sure you're following us on Instagram, Facebook. We're on our YouTube channel, or we have a weekly email newsletter where we kind of compile everything at the end of the week, send it out on Friday. Uh, some of the stuff going on locally, our partner organizations, stuff that's going on here at the church, some devotionals, just ways to stay connected throughout the week online. Mm -hmm. And we are so thankful for your ongoing giving, which is hugely important to just keep the ministries here going. And um, yeah, those ministries that our church is a part of. Uh, you may give online or you may uh, drop it into the box at the back of the foyer here or the back of the auditorium. Yeah, generosity is a core value of, of just helping us function well and do ministry well and replace mm -hmm. things like broken iPads when they fall <laughs> off our stands. Mm -hmm. But it, it all goes to make this stuff happen. So we're really appreciative of it. We're, we are amazed seeing the way God blesses what we're doing here and just moves out into the community with uh, what you give and what you just offer up for this. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes, announcement from you. Yeah, so we have next week, fun thing, we have a guest worship team, a music group coming out to lead us in time of worship, to lead us in some fun songs throughout the service as well. Make sure you're there for that. They also have uh, what they've told me, some really fun interactive ways to get the kids involved too. So that's gonna be a really fun week next week. Make sure you're here for that. And I also just wanna let you know too, in two weeks we have our AGM meeting coming up. We do have report books printed here, free to grab. They're gonna be sent out online later on. Uh, today too uh, and you can get those out in the lobby after the service if you would like to a copy some of the stuff we are going to be talking about in a couple weeks here is uh, some changes or updates to just function more efficiently and fluidly as a church just based on our kind of organizational structure if you kind of want to take a look at the nitty-gritty big forms of 20 pages of all that stuff too we have copies of that if you just love going through all the documentations there's nothing to hide so just find somebody wearing a lanyard out in the lobby they'll help you find that stuff Mm -hmm. And we're going to get the service started in a few minutes. Um, there will be some singing. There's lyrics on the screen. Uh, stand and join us. And it really is powerful for a body to sing together. Mm -hmm. And after that, we have a lesson just for the kids. If you're joining us online, we've got a little video that we'll play for all of us. And if you want to get more into some of that story, head over to our website and you'll find a full-on blog. There's a full playlist with interactive materials to engage in faith conversations at home. If you're here on campus, kids, we've got a lesson, everything set up just for you. So we'll be dismissing you. You can head on to the back. And parents, if this is your first time here, make sure your kids are checked in. They should have a little name badge to just make sure that, you know, they go home with the right parents and we don't have to babysit them for a week. We charge a lot for that. <laughs> And right after that, Grant will continue in Galatians. 
questions. Uh, did any of you read ahead what he is going to be covering this morning? Spoilers. I know. <laughs> you know what? It's challenging. And right away as I read it, I was thinking of those people that challenged me in my lifetime. And if I was at a good place, I invited those conversations. And if I wasn't, I avoided those people. So yeah, so Grant will uh, continue on in this series. I hope I can deliver. <laughs> All right. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, just before we get the service started, I think it's crucially important here, uh, global conflict that is under, uh, underway right now in Ukraine between Russia, uh, war, violence, uh, there's a lot happening and it can feel overwhelming. It can feel like, what do we do? We can pray is one thing we could start with as well. There's organizations that we're connected with directly, uh, Mennonite Central Committee, MCC, that are already engaged in support and relief operations that you can support mm -hmm. that way as well. But I think it's important this morning, I'm just gonna invite you to spend some time in prayer. Gail's gonna start us off with just a mm -hmm. time of prayer. We're gonna have some music going on after that for a little bit. Uh, where you're at in your seats, if you're joining online, spend a minute, two minutes, three minutes by yourself with people around you praying for that conflict that's happening right now. So if you'd lead us in that, Gail. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so let's bow our heads and hearts together. Even those of you watching from home, just stop what you're doing and let's join together in prayer for what's happening in Ukraine. <clears throat> our Father in heaven, there is nothing that you don't know, but you invite your people to come together and, and make pleas on the behalf of others. So that's what we're doing today, Lord God. We are coming before you and, and just asking you to step in to comfort, to guide, to direct uh, the people of Ukraine. People are fleeing, Lord, and they just are grabbing what they can. People are huddled in, in basements and, and in shelters, Lord. There too, we ask for your presence to be very vivid, just very um, comforting, Lord. So we uh, lift this time to you and uh, join us all as we uh, spend time now uh, on behalf of the people there. Lord, I just, uh, I echo those pleas for mercy on people in suffering. I uh, understand that we have this place of peace, even though sometimes it feels tumultuous and overwhelming. And um, I, uh, at the same time as we pray over Ukraine, there's suffering here and and uh, two families in particular that are celebrating the life of loved ones that have passed and also mourning the loss of them, the Lobb family. Don passed away this last week and I, uh, I'm just thankful to know that he passed peacefully as long as, as well as Larry, he, he passed away a week and a half ago or so. And I, and I know that these men are, are loved dearly in their families 
they prepare for these moments, but when they come, they're still challenging. And I just ask that you bring peace over their families and um, fill them with joy that only you can fill them with. The emptiness and the separation from uh, a husband for literally decades upon decades. So God, I just pray that you bring peace to these two families. Bring peace to Ukraine somehow, some way, intercede. And I know you call believers to suffer in your name and I pray that you allow them, the believers in Ukraine, to speak your name and stand firm in who you are and serve those that need you. And Lord, I just also ask that you help us do the same. Be beacons of peace. Be beacons of light in our community. Help us not be people of conflict. And I pray this in your precious name. Amen. And uh, we are going to, we're going to sing a few songs. And uh, if you guys want to join us and sing that's beautiful and i love hearing your voices we just really love singing together if this is strange for you um or unusual that's okay um this is just a, a something that we offer to our god that we believe he loves to hear and we know he loves to hear it, not because of what it sounds like but what we are offering to him something just a gift to him because of his wonderful faithfulness in our life so if you want to stand feel free if you want to sit that's okay too but uh, uh, feel free to sing along with us
for just loving us endlessly brings me joy.
those around us, declaring your name, Jesus. Thank you. Amen. Christ alone, my hope is found.
for singing with us this morning. Just invite Grant up here to share a message with us. I will do that in just a sec. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in worship, and thanks for joining us in that. Uh, we are going to dismiss the kids now. So kids, if you want to head off to the back there, you're going to join with your teachers. And rather than going downstairs, in case you jump the gun a little bit too much, we are heading across the building because this morning we have the uh, blood donation clinic happening downstairs. Across the way, there's another church meeting, worshiping God the same way. It's super exciting how full this campus is getting every single week right now. And then so the kids are taking the other wing uh, going to have a fun time. And again, just make sure, parents, that your kids are signed in and keep that slip so you can take them home with you after the service. Uh, and then for kids who are joining online and all of us here, we are going to watch a video, which is just a bit of a teaser of the lesson for today. All right. Thank you for joining in prayer this morning. Uh, I was excited and eager to do that too. I've been, I'll just admit it to start off here, I've been overwhelmed with the news cycle, my social media feeds, the algorithms have been brutal the last little bit. Like when you see these stories coming out of uh, countries invading and damage, and to be sure stuff like this happens all the time, but this one feels viscerally real in the Western world, European countries under attack. Like, can you relate to that? A bit of a helpless feeling of what's going on? There's this daunting sense of everything going on. And what we can do though is prayer. And prayer isn't just this empty, thing that we just say, we're, we're just going to pray and hopefully that'll help. We actually believe here in a God who can intervene. We believe in a God who does end wars. We believe in a God who can bring peace and deliver and protect the innocent in those moments. We believe in a God who does amazing things, yet we're in a world where there's chaos and war and violence and evil that happens all the time. So what do we do with that, right? Prayer is a big deal though, and that's why when we even spend moments like that leading through times of prayer, I encourage you to do that in your home too while you're watching the news. Uh, it, the best thing I ever heard for it is this sense when, you can almost imagine like when you're a kid or if you've seen a kid or maybe you still do it, if, if you fall, trip, scrape your knee, right? What's the first thing you do? The logical textbook answer would be to call a paramedic, right? Or something like a doctor who's professional at that. But you run to your parents. You run to somebody who loves you and is going to give you that comfort and compassion. The best thing I ever heard was prayer is just us literally running to God out of desperation, out of needing that comfort, out of needing that, um, that thing. And it's kind of commanded to in the Bible, Philippians 4, just says, don't be anxious, but in every situation, give prayer and thanksgiving and present your request to God, and he will be present in those things, and he will guard your hearts and your minds and enter into the world with that power. So this is a real thing that we do, and in fact, is that sense of comfort, that sense of compassion is not just because the Bible said so, it actually is felt to the point where celebrities in Hollywood talk about prayer and meditation. Jim Carrey talks about praying, I don't know to whom, but there's a real human sense of actually moving your mind into that space, it makes a difference. It's real. So we pray, and just as a church as well, prayer is a powerful thing of what we want to be doing in this season. We are searching for a lead pastor as well on every second Wednesday, and this coming Wednesday is one of those second Wednesdays. We are gathering together, inviting all of you to join us in a time of prayer for what's going on in our world, what's going on in our community, but also for us on a search for a lead pastor, on a search for uh, the next steps in the future of us as Cedar Valley Church, what we're doing. So come out here Wednesday evening. That's this Wednesday, 7 o'clock. Join us in a time of prayer. It's going to be powerful. We need God to enter in and be completely present with everything we're doing right now. So 
Galatians, we are going to dive into it. We are in the book of Galatians. We're doing a series called Jesus Plus Nothing. This is a book in the New Testament. It's actually a letter written by a man named Paul to uh, Christians in ancient Galatia, kind of modern-day Turkey in the New Testament of the Bible. And it's written to address this issue that comes up where we take a look at stuff in the world, like when religions say things like Jesus, you know, could come and save our sins and let us get into heaven, and he has all these cool teachings and everything that... And then we kind of put Jesus as an option on a menu, and we start picking and choosing and say, okay, that looks good, and I also like this, though, too, but I also like this piece of, you know, superstition and a little bit of kind of karma in my life. I like to, you know, knock on the window of whatever I leave the house for good luck as well, and I do these rituals, and I also like the way we did stuff in the back, and we start to balance things of what's actually the most important thing in our life, and Jesus becomes one option. So this was an issue with the Galatians, the Christians uh, in ancient Galatia, but it's kind of relatable to us now. So Paul's writing this to them and us and stuff that we can uh, learn from. That's why we're calling it Jesus plus nothing. Paul's goal is saying, like, actually, the important things in life, your soul, eternity, the goal of what should be guiding everything you do is the message and truth of Jesus, and nothing else can, can be part of that. You can't partner with anything else. So let's dive in. We are going to start reading in chapter 2, verse 11 this morning. Uh, if you've got a Bible, open it up. If you've got an app, uh, open up the app or download it. We've got good Wi-Fi here. And who brings a paper Bible here, I wonder? Three, that's five. That's not, that's not bad. All right, there we go. That's like leather bound. I've got a sweet Bible too. Uh, I so rarely use it for like reading. I don't even know how to hold it. I've practiced before and it falls out of my hand, so I just stick with the tablet. I uh, just go straight to the app because it's so easy to search through. But we're going to read through it. It'll also be up on the screen if you're joining online or you just need to see that here. Verse 11, uh, chapter 2, I'll give you a sec. So, chapter 2, verse 11. When Cephas, which is Peter, just a different translation of the name, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. This is Paul talking. Uh, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles, uh, non-religious people, because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group, the super-religious group. The other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, Cephas, in front of all of them, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow these Jewish customs? Got some drama happening. Everything up to this point has been fairly textbook. Paul's introducing himself, telling us about himself. And now he is bringing up a little bit of drama going on here. Just previously, uh, from last week, we talked about how Paul had actually spent all these years um, centering and discerning his faith, and he he met these men, the apostles, people who had actually lived and been taught directly by Jesus to gain some affirmation and some authority from them for his teaching, his message, the ministry he was doing. So he got that and he got whatever the apostles accreditation and stamp of approval. And now he turned around and he's starting to rebuke them and throw that out back at them. And oof, he's just being rough. It's a little bit dramatic, but I actually love the fact that this feels so human, right? Because we're actually like, these are the apostles, right? We, we should we revere them and think that they're so amazing, but they, they make mistakes. Peter was a man who had like lived with Jesus for years, and Paul's now calling him out and saying, what are you doing, man? You're, you're leading people astray. You're not doing the right thing. So we actually get this sense that these are real people who actually have some ups and downs, and they have some drama in their life, some battles. 
And here's an important thing. It's going to be important for this morning as we go through. The Bible is a written account of stuff that happened. It is useful and important and God-blessed and uh, powerful for us to learn from. It doesn't necessarily mean that everything written in the Bible is saying, do everything exactly like this. It doesn't necessarily mean that when somebody cuts you off in the middle of the road, get out the door, go and yell at him in the face, because Paul did that to Peter, right? It's saying this happened. What's the big truth that's actually going on here? Paul is trying to call out something specifically that happened in this encounter. He wants the Galatians to actually learn something from this encounter. So in a nutshell, what's going on? Paul and Peter, uh, two Jewish men, came from this culture that valued religion and religious practices super highly, like as their gospel. It was the most important thing to them following rules and making rules upon rules and having this system and structure around their life. That was everything in their world. It was the common normal thing to do. And this is what you needed to do in their minds to have favor with God. This is what you needed to do to be close, to be doing the right thing, is to just follow rules and traditions and practices and all these things. But so much so that they actually started to miss the whole point of why God was interacting with people in that way. They started to miss God at work. They missed the people right in front of them. They missed Jesus right in front of their face, the Son of God. And we do that all the time. We miss the point. We come up with these systems and we try to just follow stuff and we end up missing things that are going on because what ends up happening at the end of the day is they might be good rules, but you can never actually follow all the rules. And when you make a system and a structure in front of you, your gospel, your way of getting into heaven, being good enough, you'll never be good enough. At some point, you're going to fail. And what ends up happening there is you put your trust in systems and rules. You're going to end up in hell because it's not good enough. This is where the gospel comes in. And the good news of Jesus is that he says, I know you can't follow all these rules. You're trying, but what I'm actually going to ask you is to trust in me. I've got open arms here. I truly love you. And I made that sacrifice so that you can actually come to have a relationship with me, have a relationship with God. He overcame the power of sin and death. We have freedom from those rules being tyrannical in our lives because we can't actually work up and live up to all of those things. And instead, we just enter into a relationship with Jesus and experience God's love and grace in that moment. So that's the good news. That's the gospel. That's everything that's happening here. Paul experienced all of that. He experienced that truth. Jesus came into his life, said, all the things you're doing, sucks. You need to do better. Here's the opportunity for how it can actually look. And now he was full of vigor. He saw his past life, and then he saw Peter doing some of that. And he was mad, so he wanted to enter in and say, stop that, Peter. That is wrong. You are doing what, what I already did. I already experienced that, and it was so damaging. I saw what it did to people around, and you're doing that same thing. So Paul goes off into this conflict. So I love it. We're just going to focus in on the the first part there in verse 11, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. What is your go-to reaction when I say, when somebody asks you, how do you deal with conflict in your life? I think, you know, we're, we're a Mennonite church. We kind of come from a bit of a pacifist, peacekeeping focused background. So a lot of us, we probably are conflict avoiders, right? My wife and I, we come from two very different families, the way we deal with conflict. She comes from a family that uh, doesn't talk about it, conflict avoiding, we'll call it that. It doesn't talk about it very loud until it becomes absolutely crucial at the last minute. I come from a family that talks very loudly about conflict. doesn't mean we deal with it. We just yell about it a lot. So when we got married, that was fun to figure out, right? Because a perfect example is when we started learning how to load the dishwasher together as a married couple, and we do it differently. 
And so in Leslie's mind, the way to kind of deal with this opposition is, well, I'll give him a few days or weeks or months, and I'm going to slowly try to lead by example and change it and give him a few looks. He'll get it, right? Like, I don't need to tell him. He'll get it. And my response is coming in, this is the dumbest way to load a dishwasher. What are you doing? That didn't make her feel very well. We figured it out. We're, we have a good dishwasher now, too, so we're, we're past that. The moral of the story is to have a happy marriage, have good appliances. <laughs> this has been Marriage Tips with Grant. I won't go into that. But we figured it out. I think one of the things that Paul is trying to say here with that statement, he went to Peter, opposed him to his face, is that uh, as in contrary to what you might think with a conflict-avoiding temperament, actually deal with and work out issues that are right in front of you in your relationships, in people that are important in your life. When you see stuff, actually deal with conflict rather than just letting it simmer. Simmering is good for soups and sauces, not conflict. That is what makes it toxic, for sure. There's no good examples of just letting an issue, and to be sure, like, not everything is a number 11, right? Like, but working on stuff. Learn your partner's love language. Learn how to actually communicate with grace and love to people, but actually work through things rather than just letting them pile up and they'll probably be fine and just let it go. So Paul's example is saying, deal with it. Secondly, Paul's example here is saying, deal with the person involved. Our inclination to just vent and get stuff out is overwhelming. If there's one guaranteed way to make a conflict toxic is by just complaining to somebody else who's kind of apart from it about all the things when Leslie loads the dishwasher in the worst way possible and she's just, I can't believe it. We do that so often. We make these conversations in our head when where there's an issue we have with somebody, we start filling in their side of the conversation, and we're never very gracious or benefit of the doubt with that, are we? Like, they say the worst possible things in our head in that conversation the way it goes because everything in their mind is opposed to you, is doing it the wrong way. That doesn't work very well. Deal with the issue with the person involved as a starting point. Paul went to Peter, talked to him to his face, that's necessary. That's really, really important. And also very important for marriage, too. So, and then once you've dealt with it and figured it out, you can write it in a Bible, and millions of people will read about the story later on. So, when you deal with it well, that's where it can come to. The real goal, though, what's happening, the conflict's one part of it. We can learn from Paul there. But Paul's trying to highlight the hypocrisy in claiming one thing and claiming that, and this is a burden for if you are somebody who says and professes that you believe in Jesus, that Jesus has saved you. If you've got the bumper sticker and the fish on your car, your actions have a powerful impact on people around you. The hypocrisy that Peter started presenting and portraying because he would say this one thing. He was a man who was planting churches and revered and trusted. He lived with Jesus, and then he started acting in different ways because he was scared of how some people might react and the religious people might judge him for this. So he started doing certain things. Uh, Specifically here was who he ate with. But at the end of it, it's how we dress and how we hang out. It has a powerful impact on people. I'll give you a perfect example, and, and this is because if you are a role model of faith, you've got to listen to this. If you represent faith, if you represent the good news of Jesus Christ to anybody in your life, in your workplace, or your family, or your friendships, you've got to listen to this reality of how you affect them. So alcohol, huge divisive topic often among people, especially when you get religion involved and different experiences and stuff like that. Um, and here's the thing, because if you, you might be fine with drinking alcohol, right? 
But if you are with somebody who struggles with or has had a bad past with alcohol, just because you're free to do so doesn't mean that you should be drinking tons in front of them all the time. You shouldn't impose it. Your actions actually affect somebody else's life. Even though it's fine for you, it affects them differently. And this is actually a huge thing that I think my generation, a lot of people around my age are starting to have to deal with because microbreweries, super trendy, really fun, organic, fair trade, it's been under a guise of now like drinking tons of beer is actually supporting local and like the hipster thing, super cool thing to do. And I know it's rampant amongst my friend groups as just like people are struggling with it, but this still the cool thing to do is go to Fieldhouse and have, you know, eight beers in a night. It's the thing to do. There's no thought of how it's actually impacting people's lives and marriages at home and their work and inability to function in life. There's no consideration because it's just the really cool thing to do at this point. On the flip side, you might have this strong conviction. You don't need alcohol in your life. It's not a thing. Even though it's totally fine for some people, that's just not your thing. You can't take that same black and white rule and judge and blast other people. Jesus drank wine at parties. He turned water into wine. You can't take that same thing. Oh, well, it was okay for Jesus, but I'm going to blast and judge other people. Don't like, put that bottle down. See, stuff that you might have a bit of a black and white sense in your life applies to different people differently and it's not easy, but it's important to start focusing on how you live out your convictions, your beliefs, and how they impact other people around you. At the end of the day, every single thing that Paul did when it was divisive or he said something to one group or something to another group, the goal was to point them towards God, not towards his own rules or thoughts. So we have to be careful and consider our actions and how they lead people towards God or if they just lead people towards what we think about stuff. But now the actual goal, I think, that's happening here in the story. And when I was reading this through, this came, came to me. I thought, this is so cool because I think there's a hero in the story to learn from. And it's not actually Paul, right? He's sitting here. He's writing a thing, trying to tell the Galatians, look, I attacked Peter, did this dumb thing. I threw him down, shut him up in front of everyone. Actually, I'm thinking, we're going to look at Peter as the hero here. So take that, Paul, for a moment. Because here's something that's really cool. This thing for Peter, getting called out, getting rebuked, wasn't a new thing. It wasn't a foreign thing for him to actually get that experience. Reading through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, these stories where constantly Peter was this like hyper, high and low, didn't really think before he spoke or act kind of guy. I liked him. I could relate to him. Just, just going kicking down stuff, saying like, Can, let's go tell those people that thing. Let's go here. And Jesus constantly is like pulling him back like, bro, slow down. In fact, he called him Satan one time. He said, get behind me, Satan. Like, you don't know what you're saying calm down. Peter was constantly rebuked by Jesus because of his actions and his stumbling and going forward. What was amazing is Peter's response every time. He would say like, oh, you're right, Jesus. He would repent. He would say I, that I was wrong, and he would try to do better every time. Even here, I almost wonder, and I like to just kind of throw a bit of thought here, I wonder if that actually felt like a piece of comfort for Peter. He saw Jesus in Paul rebuking him, and he thought, oh, that's good. Paul doesn't write it out much here in Galatians, but we know that Peter responded positively to this because Paul and Peter didn't have any further conflict past this point. Peter wrote a few books in the New Testament as well that reflect the fact that Peter is actually speaking against the very things he was doing. So this moment of rebuke, this moment of Paul calling Peter out had a positive impact on Peter. So the thing that we can learn from here, from Peter, the hero of this story here, our ability to hear a rebuke, to have someone else address something in our life that we're doing wrong, to seek redemption in that, that's a mark of maturity, a maturity of faith, a maturity of character, something that's really core and critical to all of us. 
our ability to handle being told that we're wrong is parallel to our ability to accept salvation. Because that's the whole core of everything that's happening here. Jesus has this great news, this story of saying, hey, I get that you can't do everything right all the time, and that's why I'm actually going to overcome that. That's not how you can have a relationship with God, is by trying to do all the right stuff. Instead, it's actually trusting in me and the sacrifice that Jesus made that starts with actually accepting the fact that we are doing wrong. Right? Our faith and relationship starts with our response to this statement of saying, like, I'm a sinner, I do things wrong, I need God, I need Jesus in this to come up and step up, and we need that wake-up call, and we should be able to handle that. We should also be able to handle these other moments in our life that are beyond just that salvation call, but when people address us and say we're doing things that are kind of wrong. Some of the best people I know and look up to, like heroes of faith in my life, aren't marked by their memorization of Bible verses, their ability to speak in Greek and Hebrew and all the other stuff. Uh, Some professors at Bible college, brilliant people, but the true people who I find just admirable, the way they just exude godliness in everything they do, just God's love and mark, is their ability to handle being called out and responding positively to that and saying, you're right, let me go forward with this. So here's an example that, uh, you know, I have permission to share this from my wife. Uh, when we were in our first couple years of marriage, she asked me one time, it's a dangerous question. She said, am I easy to give feedback to? Am I easy to tell that I'm wrong? So I wanted to be a good husband, right? So what, what's the right response here? What do I say? I thought, you know what, I love her. I'm going to say the right things. I said, no, not at all. And she knew that. She was working through something there. And I said, no, I was more gracious than that. But I said, no, actually, you don't take criticism very well. You don't take getting called out very well. She knew that. She's actually going through freedom session at the time. She was working on that issue in her life because she knew that she just constantly would shut down and she would deny and defend and move away to something different. And instead, she's actually taken that opportunity, not from me, but through just working through stuff with Jesus through freedom session over and over, finding redemption of actually saying, I want to do better in this moment. I want to actually move closer to God every time those things happen. And now she's one of my heroes of faith because of her ability to actually receive that. And it challenges me because I'm really bad at that. You mostly here listening, a lot of you could probably relate to my response to this. I hate getting called out. So I put a lot of work into putting up a really strong shell and rules and the ways I follow and a good, strong character so that I don't get called out very often because I know I respond really badly to that. I think a lot of us here, we do that. That's the thing that we constantly do. But then the problem is that fails, that attempt. That's what the Pharisees did. That's what the religious efforts were, is to just do enough right things on the outside that you trick people into thinking you're holistic and righteous and good enough. And then that fails, and we're no closer to God at all. In fact, that's the problem. Jesus actually says, like, you can live your whole life doing all the churchy things, but you never knew me. We were never, like, close. That's why the gospel message of Jesus is so much simpler. In fact, it's accepting that we're not perfect, but we can take in Jesus' uh, Jesus forgiveness and follow his examples of how to be better every time. I was having a conversation with somebody recently, um, just a couple weeks ago, about some church stuff, uh, another church leader, and we were just trying to figure out, you know, different ways to plan ministries and move forward, and it was exciting. It was a really good conversation. We were, we were just going on and, you know, talking about all these exciting plans in the future, but then the conversation started to get hijacked a little bit by, you guessed it, right? Where, what are we living in? So COVID stuff, right? These restrictions and that and the masks and whatever, these things that are annoying. 
And it went on and on. And we, I tried to bring it back to things, and suddenly it's like 15, 18, 20 minutes. This guy's just going on. He doesn't stop. He just keeps going and going. And I, I wanted some of my time back, so I called him out and just like, come on, bro, let's, what are we talking about here? So I interrupted eventually, and I probably let him go on for way too long, and I said, you know what, here's the truth that came to me. Sometimes, rarely, the Spirit speaks for me, and I said, if there's one thing that the devil has loved about this whole season, isn't pro this side or anti this side or whatever, it's that he has occupied our conversations. The devil has actually gotten in because here on this planet, we have a finite amount of words that we get to share with each other, and the devil is wasting them as we just talk and complain and go over stuff. And I said that, and then the guy said, yeah, I agree with you, and let me tell you about all the things of why I agree with it and all the things, and it went back to the complaining and stuff, and I slowed him down and said, what are we doing here? We're talking about church, the bride of Christ, this amazing thing. We want to plan these events together and make stuff happen. And then he stopped, he said, you're right. Thank you for pointing that out. I wish people had pointed that out to me earlier because I was so blinded by this moment. I, I'm just going into this because it's so annoying and it's overwhelming me. I wasn't even hearing the truth right in front of me. So he, in a sense, repented and said, let's go on. Let's have it. We had an amazing conversation after that and everything was great. This happens. How does this happen? Do you have moments in your life where you've been challenged, called out by something, and you responded by putting up the defense or saying, no, you're the one who's wrong? Or do you take a step back and say, actually, maybe it's me? Am I close to God in this, or am I doing something for me, what's more comfortable, what's my deal right now? See, it's easy to admit fault or seek redemption when we know we're low, when stuff is going wrong, but when we're thriving, when stuff is going well, when we're comfortable, it, we like to put on defense because we think we're doing stuff fine for us. God says we always need to be in need of forgiveness. There's nobody who's righteous, nobody who's good enough at any point in time, so we always need that forgiveness. We're never without sin. So how do we handle getting called out in those moments? The other thing to learn from this is how we offer feedback to people, how we offer rebukes to, to people. The method of how we do that and how we challenge people and call people out is really important. So as, as mentioned earlier, face-to-face, -face, the way Peter did with Paul, I mean, they didn't have iPhones, so it wasn't going to happen through text, but face-to-face, -face, really good way to do it. Phone conversation, really good. Text, email is a bad way to bring out conversations that are difficult. It's a bad way to handle conflict. It often misses the emotion, it misses the goals, and I think we're just pretty used to anything we see on a screen being probably starting with a negative tone, and we start to judge that no matter the heart of what's coming by. So face-to-face -face is really important. Having some humility and patience is a really good key to this whole thing as well. Paul had 14 plus 3, 17 years of time from his conversion experience before he went around starting to blast people what I've seen often happening is people have this flip moment of like, they did a thing and then they go and challenge every single other person of like, you suck, you suck, you suck. Everyone's doing it wrong without accepting how much effort it took for your own change of life in that moment. For Paul, it took Jesus literally coming into his life, blinding him, slamming him down, sending him blind, being led to somebody else's house a day and a half away. Pretty big moment. Paul didn't just go around and start doing that to everyone else, expecting the same thing from them. He waited and had patience and grace with people until he actually had the real moment and the real relationship like he established with Peter before he actually addressed him in that way. And what I'll also say too is contrary to Paul's example where he does say later on in this passage in verse 14, in front of everyone I called him out, public shaming, made sure that everyone heard my call out of Peter. 
that's what happened there in that moment, I think because Paul was actually trying to address a lot of people and not just Peter in that specific moment because it actually even affected Barnabas, right? Like, oh, Barnabas was this good encourager. He was the person everyone liked to hear in the story. It was a big deal. So Paul called him out publicly. I actually think there's a thing that we have to deal with ourselves where we like it, the model of our church for if you're just joining us and you're kind of uh, unclear. We have this thing congregationally led, which means we value everyone's input. Everyone has the ability to discern and hear from God, understand what is a good path forward for us. We're all praying. We're all collaborating together. Sometimes where that turns bad is it becomes this like awkward town hall meeting where you wait for the moment that you can stand up and publicly shame someone and call them out and say, but you didn't do that really on the budget bad and you have no clue what you're doing anymore. You should step down and get out of here. And it sounds like politics. And that's actually a thing where we suddenly think we, have, we can win an agenda here. We can kind of co-opt it with something that they did do wrong and they need to correct with. But then we can make ourselves feel better by making them feel really bad publicly. I remember a moment where I was having this issue with an organization that I was part of supporting and they weren't really doing like anything what I thought was right for a COVID response a couple years ago in terms of like trying to change and adjust their ministries. They were just doing all these annoying things. And I had this thing in my head that was like, I'm going to wait until the AGM and I'm going to get them and they're going to feel bad and everyone's going to hear me get them and, ju- and I'll feel so justified because I've got a good idea. And then God came and he's like, are you serious? That's what you think is going to be helpful here. Why didn't you spend that whole like last three months telling them, phone them, drive out to figure out how to help them do ministry better, but no, you're just wanting to crush them? Paul's goal and the only real uh, good authentic goal for when you're challenging people, calling them out, is to strengthen their relationship with God, not to further an agenda for something that you just want to do that will help you, benefit you, make you feel better, make you feel more justified because it's probably highlighting an issue in your own life. The classic pointing fingers has three fingers pointing back at you comes out a lot of times when we have that impulse. So what it's saying here is important to deal with conflict, deal with issues with people in your life, but take a moment to assess what's actually going on in front. See, every time Jesus called Peter out, when Paul calls Peter out, when there's all these rebukes in the Bible, it always ends up with people being closer to God, not broken down, belittled, and needing more help after that. They're strengthened out of every example in that. And in fact, every time, if you sense even the slightest bit of opportunity to personally benefit out of that issue, probably shut it down, hit pause, and figure out a better way to deal with an issue and a conflict. So Paul's entire goal in this letter, the goal of the gospel message, is to point people towards Jesus. And I'm convinced our ability to hear that message that we're imperfect, that we have things in our life that we need to deal with, that challenge is a strong mark of our maturity and faith, and it's essential for our ability to actually have a real relationship with Jesus. Following Peter's example, the hero of the story, and Paul's example, the man who is leading us into this moment, is really important. This maturity is something that we all need to move closer and closer to Jesus every single time. And what I love about this with the gospel message too is it's nowhere saying that Peter was a mess and that he was less worthy and that he got less favor from or any of this thing. He planted churches. He was amazing. Making mistakes is not the issue in the red mark here to worry about. We will always fall short of the expectations that we throw for ourselves, that God throws for us. But that's where the grace and love comes in, is to actually move one step closer every single time and help each other out by actually supporting and actually challenging and actually observing where people are at in their lives, in their faith, bringing Jesus into their life. So I'm going to leave it there. We're going to pray. I invite you as well to just spend time continuing staying here. We'll have some music playing. Pray for Ukraine, continuing that. Uh, Remind you about the 
prayer meeting on this Wednesday too. And then the kids in a few minutes will come back into the lobby. So parents, make sure you grab them. Um, other than that, let's just close with the word of prayer. So God, thank you for this story where we, we have some drama in the Bible, God, that we can relate to a little bit. Um, I love it because our lives are not that basic all the time, God. We have things and, you know, sometimes we read the Bible and it feels like, how, you know, how's my life going to look like this? It makes no sense. So God, thank you that you give us this example, both from Paul's side of saying, hey, I need to see things happen better in the world. I have this powerful message that I want to bring to people, but also from Peter's side. God, amazing man, the rock, you call him. And even though he's rock, it almost seems like an oxymoron because he's up and down and all over the place, but he's the rock because he always comes back to you. God, give us that sense. Give us an impulse to repent and come to you every single time we're challenged. Rather than going with our back up against the wall in defense of God, Give us that strength to say, you know what? I'm probably wrong. God, you're better. So God, just thank you for this morning. God, I pray that you just impact the story in our lives. Give us the strength and the wisdom to uh, work things out with people in our lives with conflicts, with the ability to actually speak to people when they need to hear some truth in their life. God, and again, we just lift up the conflict that is happening in Ukraine. God, the, we just pray that you protect uh, the innocent lives that are involved in all aspects of war, God. There is no sense in this uh, situation. God, we're not even talking about the politics. We're just talking about the evil and the fear and the terror of what happens in violent battle like this. God, we just pray that you enter into that time. God, and miraculously bring peace out of that. And what would be so amazing is that we can actually point to the fact of saying, God, this was you in action and not just savvy political stuff, but something bigger happened than ourselves. God, we pray all these things in your name this morning. Just bless us as we go. Amen. All right, have a great week.